Reignite on RTE Radio 1 with AIB. It takes a certain kind of brave to run a business. We see it. We back it. Scott Belsky is the Chief Product Officer of Adobe and founder of Behance, Adobe's social media platform. He's an early investor and product advisor for top startups, including Pinterest, Uber and Airtable. But it's as author of The Messy Middle, a guide to navigating the difficult middle miles of a project that I came to learn and love his approach. Scott Belsky, you're welcome to Reignite. You write that often with any new challenge, we expect a kind of rocket ship trajectory, whereas in reality, it's all zigzags and up and down. So knowing that, you say that resilience, it's all about endurance and optimization. That's right. I, I always think it's funny in, in teams, big and small, whenever we grow, you know, whenever we have a problem, we tend to throw money at the problem. We, we throw resources, we throw more people. And in fact, resourcefulness is more powerful than resources, of course. If uh, resources are carbs, resourcefulness is muscle, right? It's the thing that actually lasts with you and helps you address similar problems in the future. And so as you think about that journey from the start to the finish, and as you said, it's an extraordinarily volatile one, you really have to develop the muscle memory to endure those lows. And you have to learn how to optimize the highs by doing whatever actually works even better. And I often think about your messy middle when it comes to running marathons, which I've done. I'm doing my second startup now. And I'm very conscious that I love the first mile. There's that sense of energy. And, and I like the last mile when I know I'm coming to the right. end line and I can crawl my way over it. But you can really only enjoy that last mile and get into the end line because of the magic that happens in the 24 miles in between. And <laughs> you talk about the need to manufacture optimism. What do you mean by that? Well, imagine it this way. As we are working with a, you know, it doesn't matter how small or big your team is, during those middle miles of the journey, it's almost like driving a car with the windows blacked out in the back seat. And so all the folks that you're you're traveling, um, they only know what you tell them. And so for all they know, you're still sitting stuck in traffic and you're not making any progress in your journey. But if you can become a great narrator of the journey, describing the milestones, merchandising what's ahead and what's behind and, and making people feel like they're making progress, they're likely to make more progress and feel optimistic about the future. And there's actually a lot of research behind this. There's a woman named Teresa Mabale at Harvard Business School that did a whole study having people in organizations journal every day and report how motivated they felt and how much progress they were making. And what we found was that you know progress begets progress. As a leader, you know, you can't expect that people kind of just see it for themselves, which is, I think, the mistake a lot of us make is we just assume it's obvious that we're going and making progress when, in fact, it's, it's really not. And by painting that picture and, and being the window, that does mean as a leader, you often have to be the person, though, that is giving them energy, not taking it from them. That's right. A couple of mantras I have, you know, number one is always leave a group with energy. You know, you can have the most difficult meeting ever. But if you can end it with a sense of, okay, here's what we're going to do. We've got what it takes and, and just rally the troops. I think that's a very important point that, that you make. The other thing I would say is that the best leaders are extremely optimistic about the future, but are also pessimistic and pragmatic about the present, right? So it's important to say, I know we can do this. Here's what we're going to make happen. And yet we're not making enough progress right now. Like here's what's not working. Here's what we can do better. And I think having those balances in check 
are really critical to a successful journey. And that is what you call parallel processing in the messy middle, where you're constantly having to focus on the task at hand, the problem you're trying to solve, while churning through the omnipresent, you know, anxiety, the sense of unknowns, which repeatedly makes me think of the last 18 months of a pandemic and having to kind of find our way through. You know, we are living in this period of ambiguity, uncertainty, anxiety, and also a lot of us who are building businesses, starting things from scratch are also living amidst anonymity. Like no one really even knows what you're what you're doing and or, or even cares in the early days. And so how do you find your way and stomach that period? Also, another part of it is developing some short-term rewards that keep yourself engaged through that very difficult period of time. Because you know, we're all born with the need for short-term recognition, you know, even from our parents and our teachers, et cetera. And then when any of us embarks on a long-term journey, you know, that stuff isn't there for us. And we kind of have to manufacture it for ourselves. It could be fun, small games you play with your team, little milestones you all work towards and celebrate that are directional, even if they're not revenue or an exit of a company. When we're finding people for those journeys, for those marathons, you recommend that you find people, you gather them, they'll ultimately grow, but that you should hire for initiative over experience. What do you mean by that? Well, I'll use my own personal example to explain that, which is, you know, as an entrepreneur starting a company called Behance back in 2005, a big network for creative professionals, I couldn't afford as an early entrepreneur to hire, you know, the famous people from Google and from Apple and from Microsoft and Adobe, et cetera. And so what did I have to do? I had to hire people who, you know, really just had initiative, but didn't necessarily have all the experience on their CV to uh, warrant them joining the team. And then of course, as companies become bigger and, and can afford to hire quote unquote top talent, we start to become resume snobs. You know, we start to hire the people that have all that vast experience. And I think what I've found, and I you know, interviewed a lot of other people in this book that shared similar sentiments, is that when you hire people with initiative, people who have a history of taking initiative and what really matters to them, they continue to do so on the job. They're willing to do things out of their job function. They're willing to go that extra mile. They're the sources of energy in the team. And oftentimes they actually outperform people with more experience because they're willing to learn everything new. They're willing to become part of that fabric, that culture of outperformance that it really makes the difference in a company. But you're a believer in going this extra mile and building this resilience that you have to be impatient over a long period of time, that people who are going to reap the rewards of the hard labour, you actually have to build in a certain amount of impatience and be okay with that. Yeah, well, I, you know, having been a part of many different Silicon Valley companies as a product advisor and investor, I've come to believe that the competitive advantage of a lot of these startups was simply sticking together long enough to figure it out. And, you know, that requires a lot of patience over a long time. And it's even harder these days as the headlines from journalists of every company make it seem like everyone's making more progress than you. You know, everyone's raising more money than you. Everyone's going faster than you. When in fact, that's not true. That's just marketing. That's just um, headlines, right? And, and so a lot of the things we're talking about around enduring those lows are really about um, the culture that is conducive for patients, people genuinely enjoying being together, having those fun games I just described earlier, celebratory moments, you know, cultural tendencies that can just keep people together and and prevent them from even taking that call from a recruiter. There is a, 
a Silicon Valley mantra that is move fast and break things. But you argue actually, yep, that's fine. Move at speed, be agile. Once you are slowing down now and again to think about problems up ahead, unintended consequences. Right. Well, one of the things that I've that I've learned that I think is a bit contrarian to to the view of move fast and break things is that you know, whatever you actually produce and put out in market to your customers has a lot of sticking power, more than you even realize. Yes, we should get a lot of stuff out there quickly and see how it works, but you also want to add a lot of polish to the thing that distinguishes you or your product the most. You know, there's there's some things you can do rough edges and some things that actually should be, you know, your absolute best foot forward. And I think that that's a mistake that a lot of these startups make that are trying to, you know, ship quickly and put out a quote unquote minimum viable product, an MVP. Um, You actually want to put out the best possible product, the best possible aspect of the product that distinguishes you from everyone else in your space. I've heard you talk about an era of what you call edupployment starting to emerge. How do you define that? Yes. Well, this is a really interesting trend. And, you know, as we, as we think about the creator economy, we all have this, you know, uniquely human capability of being creative and making something ourselves and, you know, and, and a lot of that is also wanting to be a steward of our own business, right? Be in charge of our own destiny. And the service economy, for example, you know, has enabled that. You know, people can be landscapers, they can be painters, they can be whatever, you know, they can repair appliances. I mean, there's really an opportunity, I think, for everyone to be their own business in this new modern world, as opposed to everyone having to work for somebody else. Um, now, how do we, though, get there? I think a big part of it is people getting the training for any skill in an area that interests them. And once you, of course, get that skill, then you have to monetize it. And that's typically a very hard thing to do. You have to start a company, you have to have some startup capital to even do that. And so there's a new world emerging where there are platforms that will both train you up for a skill that you're interested in and deploy you to a marketplace where you can be your independent brand. You know, I've started to call that edupployment because it's kind of vertically integrating the process of educating someone and then helping them start their own business all within the same sort of ecosystem. Just a real quick example. I mean, there's one company where called Nana, where they find, you know, people in certain areas where uh, certain appliances can't get serviced. And then they actually help train these people up on how to repair those appliances and simultaneously help them, you know, be discoverable for hire. And I think that's a really exciting trend. In all of this, you believe to be done is to die. We just need to stay curious. (laughs) That's right. Well, when you're done with a project, you may feel intuitively that that's the best part, you know, of life, right? But in essence, a lot of people that finish something start to feel somewhat depressed and wondering, what am I going to do next? Why do I suddenly feel you know, not as fulfilled. And I think it's because they're not being utilized any further. And so in some ways to be done is to die. And that's why, you know, in the end of any sort of journey, of course, you know, it's some discovery of what's the next one. Always what's next, never be done. Thank you so much for that, Scott Belsky, for joining us on Reignite. Thanks for having me. And The Messy Middle by Scott Belsky is published by Penguin.